Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, let me invite you to take your Bible and go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This morning we come to the last chapter of Paul's last letter in Scripture. The last chapter, we're going to begin the last chapter, we'll, we'll take a break next week for Easter. We're going to focus on next week on, on the, the one thing that changes everything in, in, on Easter. And then we'll wrap up uh, 2 Timothy the, on the 28th. Uh, this morning, we, we begin this last chapter. This, as Paul begins to pen these final words that we have recorded, in fact, as far as we know, maybe the last words that he ever wrote, Certainly the last ones that he wrote to his young, uh, to his young friend, Timothy. Right? The, now, last words matter. Right? If you, if you think of any movie that you've seen, like at the moment where somebody's on their deathbed, those last words matter. If you, if you know you're coming to, to the end of, um, as, as we experience here from time to time of, of couples and families who, um, who, who come to their last Sunday here with us because uh, they, they move or they get transferred somewhere else. The, the, the last, those last moments with, with friends before you leave matter. And, and in this case, Paul's last words to, to his uh, young son in the faith, as he would call Timothy, are important for us. We, we, should, we should take note of these because whatever he's about to say, he would consider as some of the most important words that, that he would deliver. Now really quickly to wrap up and, and how we got to this part, um, Paul's writing this letter to Timothy from prison. Um, as he wrote several letters, and, and this one, at this point, as we'll see this morning, uh, Paul knows that his life is coming to an end. He knows that, that his time on earth is short. And so he writes this to Timothy, a much more personal letter than he wrote uh, than, than 1 Timothy was. 1 Timothy was pastor to pastor, uh, to Paul giving uh, wisdom and, and guidance to Timothy as a pastor. Here's how, to, here's how to deal with some things in your church, in your ministry that you're dealing with. This time he addresses Timothy as a son in the faith. It's, it's very personal. And there's still some ministry stuff because that's where Timothy was. That's what he was doing. Um, and, and Paul recognized that and wanted him to, uh, still wanted to give him some guidance, but but he's writing to him, not, not pastor to pastor, but as friend to trusted friend. So throughout this letter, Paul's reminded Timothy of his legacy of faith that, that started in his grandmother and his mother and has been passed on to Timothy. And, and t- Paul would remind Timothy of what he's passed on to him as well. And then charged him to pass that on to others. Called him to flee from the traps of youth and to pursue holiness. Called him to be gentle as a pastor. And then last week we looked at, at the, the realities of the dark world in which we live, and we'll see some more of that this morning as well, and then the, de- the deception of cultural Christianity, people who would just, who would claim the name of Christ, who would claim to be followers of Christ, but whose lives don't really match up to that. And Paul would, would tell Timothy how to, how to navigate that. And this morning we come to the beginning of the final 
words. And so if there's a, if there's a heaviness to this, that's, that's because there is, right? I mean, as, as you can imagine, Paul writing these words knowing that, that he may never see Timothy's face again. As he's, he's trying to figure out how to, how to close out this letter to his young friend. So yeah, we come to this one. There, there's a heaviness that I don't think has been present in, in, in a text uh, that we've covered in a long time. So if you'll stand with me, let's go to first, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. The word of the Lord says, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control In everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. There's reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. May it speak to us. Even though these are written to Timothy, who's a pastor, will will you not let us off the hook this morning thinking, well, I'm not a pastor. These obviously don't apply to me because we know that your word applies to each and every one of our lives. And so as I prayed earlier, I pray now, will you use your word to change our actions, to change our attitudes where it's necessary? Would you reveal to us in our own lives some areas where we are tempted to turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths? May we be people who are guided day in and day out, not by a culture, not even by our own expectations, but by your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, now if we're honest, as we come to this text, it seems like, again, these are Paul's last words, maybe the most important things that he'll tell Timothy. And he comes here and he says, I solemnly charge you. Before God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom. And at this point, Timothy's probably going, man, what is so important that Paul's, like, setting this up? Preach the word. Now, now let us not overlook that. As a pastor, let me tell you, this is like pastoring 101. This is what you learn on the first day of seminary. Almost every class that I've ever had, certainly a preaching class, the the professor will come in, and this is the first thing he'll say, preach the word. And to young, arrogant guys in ministry, we might have a tendency to go, well, duh. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? But but Timothy, or Paul does not want Timothy to miss this. You know, stories told of a legendary uh, Green Bay Packers coach who on the first day of training camp every year, 
would look at his professional athletes, his NFL players, many of whom had won multiple Super Bowls. And on the first day of training camp, he would hold up a football. And he would say, gentlemen, this is a football. Every single year. Why? Because the fundamentals matter. And quite honestly, if you're playing football and you forget what a football is, it doesn't really matter what else you do, right? And I think what Paul would say is, listen, listen to, to, to young Timothy the pastor. It doesn't matter what else you do. If you miss this, you're going to totally miss the ship of ministry. Preach the word. Now he says, I solemnly charge you, right? So in other words, he's trying to tell Timothy, hey, listen, this is important. And I'm afraid sometimes we we might misunderstand that. We think that all preaching has to be solemn. Okay? It's not. God God works in and through personalities. All right? So, So for instance, it doesn't mean that I've got to come up here every Sunday. Open your Bibles. Because that's the reaction I would get, right? That's it. <laughs> no, but it means we take this seriously. Right? We, we take the preaching of the word seriously. Because the greatest need in your life is not to get a better paying job. The greatest need in your life is not to get a new house or a new car. I, the, the greatest need in our lives as followers of Christ is that our lives would be shaped and molded by the word of God. It's a charge I take seriously, and it's one that I hope you take seriously for me, right? So so listen, as you pray for me during the week, and and if you don't, let me ask you, pray for me during the week, that I would hear from the Lord concerning his word, that, that I would have the words to effectively communicate that to you. Because if you notice here, no matter what else Timothy may do as a pastor, he's commanded to preach the word. Now, now, as I've said before, and as I've, I've hopefully modeled in, in, in at least as imperfectly as I can, that, that's not all a pastor does. But it's the primary task week in and week out. So in other words, no matter what else happens in my week, there's a Sunday morning deadline that hopefully, like, I'm not still in my office working on, like, right before I walk up here, right? So, I mean, but, but there, is a, there is a deadline every single week to stand here and to proclaim the truth of God's word. So, so preachers don't have, the, don't have the freedom to just stand here and give good advice, right? It means I can't just stand here and say, tell you, hey, here's six steps for you to be happy. Here's, here's ten ways for you to maximize your marriage. No, primarily what we do here is walk through books of the Bible. In fact, the, the times that we don't do that will be by far the exception. To, rather, to, to those Sundays, we just simply open up a book. And we begin walking verse by verse through that book. Now, as I said, it doesn't mean it always has to be somber. And it doesn't always have to be serious. And it's not always like, like I'm preaching a funeral message. Because let me tell you, God's word is the most exciting thing that I know. I love standing here. Like, like I get excited when I'm wrapping up, usually on like Thursday afternoon, I get excited about, man, I get to stand up and proclaim the word of God. Like, it's so cool. And then look at what he says. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. 
Now, I told you, I get excited about doing this most of the time. But can I let you in on a little secret? All right, let let me open up a little door to to my world here. It's not always easy to prepare a sermon. Sometimes it is. Like like sometimes I sit down to write and I open up my my Bible and open up a commentary too. Man, the words just come out. And I'm like, there has never been such prose written in the history of mankind, right? But if you've ever written anything, you'll know that, that at times writer's block comes. And that's no different for preachers. Like there are times I stare at my Bible and I'll read a passage. And I'll look up and go, what on earth did I just read? And I'll read it again. And I'll stare at a blank word processor on the computer. And go, I've, I've got to communicate this somehow. Like, and, and, and the words just won't come. There's some weeks that I feel like I have plenty of time to study and pray and prepare, but occasionally, life happens, right? And as a pastor, that that can happen in all kinds of things. There's there's a couple hospital visits to make um, out of town for for a little while, and and occasionally, thankfully not very often, but occasionally I wake up on Saturday morning, and it's like, oh, hey, I've got to preach tomorrow morning, right? I've got to come with something. And some Sunday mornings, it's, it's really easy to stand up here and proclaim the truth of God's word. And, and at other times, the alarm goes off on Sunday morning, and, and all I can think is, already? Again? We just did this last week. In season and out of season. That means on those mornings where I, my alarm goes off and I wake up and I'm like, it's Sunday, thank you, Lord. I get to preach today. I'm to stand up here and proclaim the word of God. And on those Sunday mornings when the alarm goes off and it's like, are you serious? You know what? I still still come and I proclaim the word of God. And this is what Paul's calling Timothy to. When you feel like it and when you don't, proclaim the word of God. Now, that's my task, that's my primary calling as pastor, is to proclaim the word of God when it's easy and when it's hard. Your call as believers, then, our, all of our calls as believers is to live according to the word of God when it's easy and when it's don't. Like, we don't get to wake up on a Monday morning and go, you know what, I don't think I want to be a follower of Christ today. I do not want to love my neighbors. Lord, you'd understand, have you met my neighbors? Or going to work. I don't, I don't want to have patience and wisdom today because i got to sit next to this idiot in a cubicle who's going to tell me all about their week. I don't want to do it today. No, we follow Christ in season and out of season. And look what he says. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Now, if you look back at at chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, this sounds a lot like what Paul said there about what Scripture does for us, right? All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching. He just said that. For rebuking, he said that too. For correcting, yeah, he said that. And for training in righteousness, which really kind of encapsulates everything. So he's telling Timothy, Timothy, I want you to do, I want you to proclaim and let Scripture do what Scripture does. 
So when we come to a passage and it rebukes us for something, we need to be rebuked. When it corrects us, we need to be corrected. We need to allow God's word to correct us. I love what uh, the great pastor Charles Spurgeon said. He said, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. I love that. Timothy, proclaim the word and sit back and watch it work in your people. Now, I love what Pastor Charles Spurgeon said. I also love what a, what a pastor by the name of Brian Croft says who pastors in Louisville, Kentucky. And he said this. He said, the word of God is powerful, to which we would all agree. He said, but that doesn't mean it works quickly. This is why Paul tells Timothy to rebuke, correct, and encourage. But look at this next phrase. With great patience and teaching. Because sanctif- sanctification is a process. It's a lifelong process process. And I know, I know pastors, um, because that, that's just kind of the circles that, that I tend to run in, and, and maybe even long-term believers, we can start thinking, well, shouldn't we be further along than this? I've been proclaiming the Word of God to these people for three years. Don't they get it yet? And I think sometimes I need to realize that, that it's the same with me, right? I'm I hear the word of, I read the word of God every single day. Don't I get it yet? It's a lifelong process. Shouldn't I be done struggling with this sin? Well, well, listen, can I tell you a secret about the way that the, the, the Christian, even the Christian life works? If you kick that sin, there's going to be something that creeps up to take its place. And if not... What's going to happen is you're going to go, man, I kicked that sin. Look at how awesome I am. And that's pride and that's a sin and you should repent of that. So let us trust that God's word is powerful and that it is working in us, just as Paul said, so that the man or the woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And he says with all, with all uh, patience and teaching. I remember I was in an interview one time and, uh, for, for a church. This was, gosh, years ago. And the, and the search committee uh, was sitting there with, with me and Michelle because for some reason I'm in, a, I'm in a job where Michelle always gets interviewed with me. I, I think that's always happened. We have, we have never had a church where, where Michelle's not interviewed. Anyway, and, and we're sitting there and, and this, this old guy, a little church in West Texas, this old farmer guy goes, now do you preach or do you teach? Um, yes. And so I, I came across a definition that I think is really good, right? So that is um, that preaching is heralding the facts. So, so preaching is proclaiming the truth while teaching is explaining the facts. Preaching is heralding the truth. Teaching is explaining the truth. And listen, both are needed. And so I hope when we gather here, what, what you get is both. Both me declaring to you uh, the, the truth of God's word and then explaining that and, and helping, helping us uh, figure out exactly how that applies to our lives. What will we do with this truth that we hear, right? So next week, for instance, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to c- proclaim that Jesus is risen, which is the greatest truth we have in the Bible, right? We don't need, uh, like, like I was telling Michelle the other day, I said it kind of drives me nuts when we see on Facebook all these churches doing like uh, helicopter egg drops, right? Or like doing these big things for Easter, 
Because you, you, you know, like is any of that more impressive than a dead guy walking out of the tomb? Oh, we got to have a, should bring in a helicopter to, you know, drop thousands of eggs. No! We got God who defeated death. Like that's good enough. You don't have to dress that up. And so, yeah, so I will stand here and I will proclaim this truth that Jesus has risen. But then I'm going to teach, I'm going to explain what that means for us. That that's the one thing that changes everything. And so, I'm going I'm, I'm to continue preaching the word. And I, I pray that you will continue reading the word. I, and I pray together that, that we will continue to be shaped and formed into the image of Christ by the word of God. Because this is the promise that God's word gives us in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's why we want to be people who are hearing the word preached. That's why we want to be people who are reading the word for ourselves because we want to allow it to do the work that, it's, that the scripture promises it does in our lives. Now at this point, it's really good to ask, so, so why is Paul so serious at this point? Like why is this the last thing that he would tell Timothy? Why, why is this so important that he saved it for this last chapter and this last letter that he's written that he would say, I solemnly charge you, preach the word. Well, I think that's because of the, what follows here. I think that helps clarify the seriousness of this. Because of the situation and the culture that Timothy was finding himself, Timothy found himself in and would continue to find himself in. Look at verses three through five. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So one of the reasons that, that this charge to Timothy is so important, yes, because God's word is powerful. And also because the culture in which Timothy found himself could care less what the truth is. Not all that different from where we find ourselves today. Because the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers from themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Now this can take a lot of forms, okay? So it might mean that, that people flock to churches because they want to be told how awesome they are rather than hear that they are great sinners in need of an awesome Savior. We're told they'll even multiply teachers for themselves. By the way, do you realize we see this playing out in front of our very eyes? We have this wonderful tool, this wonderful platform called the internet, which can be really helpful, but it can also be really destructive. You can search online and find teachers for almost anything. So what, listen, whatever your viewpoint is, like whatever, whatever idea you have that hatched in your brain, you can probably search online and find someone who has a website set up to teaching what you just heard. And if not, you can start your own YouTube channel and start teaching whatever, right? 
We, we, we live in a day and age where people literally can multiply teachers for whatever. I was in Barnes & Noble a couple weeks ago and uh, going through their bargain book section because I like good books, but I like them to be cheap. And um, I found a secularist daily devotional and it caught my eye and I went, this, I've got a, this is interesting. So is this like Bible verses that, that someone's put together like to reach secular? No. Um, in, in, the, in the introduction, they, they described how uh, religious folks, spiritual folks, have been using daily devotionals for hundreds of years. And they said, this is the first time we can think of that, that we have a secular daily devotional. So we have daily readings from great thinkers, great philosophers, great atheists for the secular mind. Multiply teachers for themselves. Said so they'll turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Now, now keep in mind that Paul's writing to Timothy, who's a pastor. So it's li- likely that he's warning him about people in the church. And we've already seen, man, Ephesus was a train wreck of a church. I mean, you had elders who were like leading women astray and, and teaching all these false things. And, 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 and so Timothy was familiar with this and and, and Paul's warning, and listen, even within the church, even within the body of Christ, we're not immune from buying into these myths. And here's the thing, right? We shouldn't be surprised when the world believes nonsense. We should be surprised when it creeps up into the church. So, so here's the key, right, for, for us in the context of a local church. If you have something that you're concerned with or something you don't understand, like why we do something, um, see, see if you can find a reason in Scripture why you disagree with it. Okay, and if you can't do that, it may very well be a personal preference. Like if you can't come up with a verse that's set, like where you can say, hey, I think this is wrong, it might be a personal preference. And when we start f- believing personal preferences and applying them as truth, I think that falls into this category of following after myths. Right? Look, personal preferences are fine. I prefer a lot of things. Right? I prefer baseball to almost any other sport. I prefer certain types of music. I prefer a certain translation of Scripture. That's why I preach out of the Christian Standard Bible. But it, but it doesn't mean that I go around telling you, if you like football more than baseball, you need Jesus. Now, if you're a Yankee fan, I'm just kidding. See, here's the thing. We can easily point out ways that the folks who are not believers turn aside to myths. But if we took just a step back and evaluated our own lives, I think we would all find some ways that we're tempted to do that as well. In fact, in Ephesus, this was happening in the church. People were turning aside to myths. It was nothing new. So, so in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah declared this. Look at this. Jeremiah 5, 30-31. An appalling, horrible thing has taken place in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own authority. And look at this last one. My people love it like this. My prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule by their own authority, and my people love it like this. This is a danger even for those of us who are followers of Christ. If we're not grounded in the truth of the word of God, we can be led astray by myths. Because often, 
what happens is myths usually contain some nugget of truth. But it takes that nugget of truth and it expands way beyond what we would say is biblical orthodoxy. Right, so we have a solemn request from Paul. Preach the word. We have a sobering reality. Why that's so important? Because people will not tolerate the truth. So we need to make sure that we're standing on the truth of the word of God and pointing out the falsehoods that people believe. And then finally, we have an example, a shining representative in the person of Paul. Look at verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. So finally, Paul turns Timothy's attention to himself. As one who has faithfully followed Christ. Now, now to, to be clear, this is not arrogance here. But Paul has the credibility as a faithful disciple of Jesus and one who's lived his life well as a believer. Verse 6, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. We've said before, Paul knows that his death is imminent, and history tells us that he was later beheaded in Rome. And yet, if you read through this, even though he says the time for my departure is close, there's no fear in this. I sense some sadness. I mean, he's, he's writing his last letter to Timothy. I think he's hurting for, for Timothy. He's hurting for the other churches that he's encouraged. But, but there's no fear. There's only confidence in the Lord. And listen to the way he wraps this up, right? The way he summarizes his life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Listen, I know I, know I use a lot of sports analogies. I'm in good company. Paul did too. Fought the good fight. There's a boxing one. I finished the race. There's racing. He, he loved sports and it made its way into his preaching. Earlier in scripture, he said he doesn't box like one who just beats the air. And here he uses another analogy, that of completing the race and winning. I've finished. I've made it. He says, there's reserved for me the crown of righteousness. Again, this is athletic language. This is, this is the victor's crown. He's about to cross the finish line. And Paul believes here, he says that the Lord himself will crown Paul at the end. And then he says, not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. This is the crown that awaits all of us who are followers of Christ. Now listen, as we, as we look around this room, as we consider those who are on this journey of faith with us, recognize that some of us are closer to this than others. Even though the, re the reality is, of course, that any of us could see the end of this earthly life at any point. And so one of the primary callings uh, for those who preach the word of God is to remind us of this often, that this day is coming. Your life is temporary. 
the death rate is still 100%. It's coming. Are you prepared for that day? If this, if this was your last day, could you say with Paul, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. In fact, look at, if we go to Philippians 3, this is a great passage where Paul considers his, his life, and this is what he says. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. And I love this. Look at 10. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. We're going to talk about that next week. I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. Now, Philippians, we know Paul's writing this from prison. He is in the middle of suffering for his faith. And he says, I want to know even more. I want to know Christ. And if that means that I suffer in this life, great. Because I will come to know Christ more. Now now listen. As long as you have breath in your lungs, God has a plan for you here on earth. Next Sunday, we're going to gather to celebrate the resurrection. A single greatest moment in all of history. The, the one thing that changes everything. Right? We'll, we'll celebrate the fact that, that Jesus put death to death once for all and, and that by dying on the, on the cross, the death that we deserved, he paved the way for us to be reconciled to God. The, the reason I titled this The Main Thing is because this is the main thing. Christ's crucifixion and resurrection is the central point in all of Scripture. You you can't proclaim Scripture from anywhere. I would argue from Genesis to Revelation, you can't proclaim Scripture faithfully without pointing to this moment because it's the the one thing that puts everything else in place. It's the the one puzzle piece that that connects everything else. This is the central theme of the Word of God, that God Himself came to save us. We were sinners separated from Almighty God and he sent his only son to save us. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you come to know this God who sent himself to do what you could not do on your own? Have you turned from sin and trusted in Christ? If not, you can do that today. As as we've done the last several weeks, I've put this this prayer up on the screen. There are no magic words here. Um, This is not some magic formula. It's just a prayer giving giving you some words to to frame what what God's doing in your heart, giving you some words to process. That's simply this. My life is broken. I recognize it's because of my sin. I need you, Lord. Lord. 
I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. And I know that Jesus is Lord of all, and I will follow him. If you've never trusted in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can do that today. I'd love to visit with you myself, and Chuck will be down front. We'd, we'd love to visit with you and, and share how you can do this. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning, you never followed through in believer's baptism. That, that act that symbolizes that we've been put to death with Christ. The old person's gone. We've been raised to walk in a new life. As I said, I would love to have us baptize several people next week. So if you've never followed through in, in believer's baptism, let me simply say, here's your chance. We'll have water in the baptistry. It'll even be warm, all right? And we would love to baptize you, not as, not as an act of saving faith, but as an act of obedience following the example that Christ gave for us. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all of us this morning that we would, we would keep the main thing the main thing, that we would be people who are focused, who are centered, who are grounded in your word. That we would allow it to rebuke us, to correct us, to teach us, to train us in righteousness. That as we gather together, we, we wouldn't just gather and, and check it off as something else that we do in our Christian life, but that we would come together as the people of God to hear your word proclaimed. And I pray you'd give me the wisdom and the grace to do that week in and week out. That even in my weakness, the glory of Christ would be on display through your word. Would you allow it to correct us? Would you call us to repentance? Even those of us who've been followers of Christ for a while, as you... As we read the word and it exposes areas of our lives that, that we need to, uh, things that we need to stop doing, things that we need to start doing, would you, would you give us the power to do that through your spirit? May we, like Paul, be able to say, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Not in my own power, not in my own strength, but in the strength of of Almighty God working through me. I've remained true to Him as He has remained oh so much more faithful to me. Move in our hearts over these next few moments. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 10.30. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.